0: You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. By way of introduction, if you uh, missed last week or if you just needed a little bit of a reminder, the church, uh, this letter... Uh, was written is unique in the fact that it wasn't re- written to a one particular church, it was written to a group of churches, the churches at Galatia. Uh, this would include included the church at Iconium, the church at Antioch, uh, the church at Lystra, the church at Derby, uh, possibly others. Uh, we don't really know for sure, but Paul wrote these letter, this letter to be passed around to these churches so that they would all understand the same thing. Uh, The purpose of writing the book of Galatians was to combat false teaching, uh, which is what we find sometimes in other epistles that Paul written. Specifically, this particular uh, letter that Paul wrote to the churches at Galatia was written because there were people who were adding things to the gospel. It's good that you believed in Jesus, but you also must follow the Levitical law. Uh, men, you still must be circumcised, Uh, everyone must keep the ceremonial law, you must keep all the holy days and feasts and things like that. And they basically had turned Christianity into a bolt-on to Judaism or the Old Testament uh, where Christ said, I didn't come to uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The goal of Christianity was not to be uh, an add-on to the old way of doing things, it was a fulfillment of what had already been done uh, through Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul writes to tell them, hey guys, you're... You have some false teaching that needs to be corrected here. Uh, The unique thing about the book of Galatians is Paul, from the beginning to the end, offers no word of commendation to them. He doesn't say, hey, guys, you're doing a great job in this area, uh, but you need to work on these other areas. No, he lets off from the very beginning, letting them know that what they're doing is incorrect. And so we find ourselves in uh, Galatians chapter number one. We're going to start in verse number one and go through verse number nine here tonight. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from a present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if yet I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul writes here from the very, very beginning, verse number six, he says, after he gets the formalities out of the way, hey, it's Paul, an apostle. You didn't make me an apostle, God made me an apostle. He says, from the very beginning, hey, I don't really care what you think about me or what uh, you think my credentials are to you. I don't have to prove anything to you. God made me an apostle, and that's who I am by Jesus Christ. And he says, and I want you to know I'm writing. I got several brothers that are with me that are helping me write this letter that I'm sending unto the churches at Galatia, and I want you to receive this. Then he goes into verse number six and just lights them up from the very beginning. I cannot believe that you have so quickly left the gospel for another gospel. I'm shocked, I am absolutely blown away that it took you no time whatsoever to turn your back on the faith that was given to you. To understand, first of all, before we jump into this passage uh, of what he's talking about, about the gospel and another gospel, we need to ask ourselves first the question, what is the gospel? The gospel is incredibly important. The gospel is the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. That's the gospel in a nutshell, if you will. We can sometimes break it down and say that we have sinned against the holy God. We're found guilty before God. The penalty of our sin is death, separation from God and hell for all of eternity. That God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. And Jesus Christ, by his death, burial and resurrection has paid the sin debt of mankind for all that would trust in him and believe in him for eternal life. That is the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel said our sins are forgiven, not based on what we've done, but what Christ has done. We don't just need the gospel to get saved. You cannot be saved other than the message of the gospel. But we need the gospel every day after that because as we continue to sin, we still need someone to fix our sin problem. And the gospel finds hope for that, that you can't be good enough to fix your own sin problem. You need God's help for that that you can't do enough to make up for all the wrong that you've done in your life. You need God's grace to cover your sin, not just the day that you got saved, but every single day after that, for sure. One of the ways that uh, I read in a book several years ago, I think it's a good way to explain the gospel, is another way uh, to say that it is God, man, Jesus' response. That God is holy and perfect and sinless, and man is not. Man has rebelled against God. And the only payment that we have for our sin is Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus died in the place of sinners. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But every man must respond to the gospel. Every person must choose whether or not they will follow Christ or not. It's not a blanket forgiveness that goes worldwide. I wish it were the case, but it's not but it is freely given to all that would believe on Jesus Christ, but it requires a response on your part. That is the gospel. When we add anything to this message, we have perverted the gospel. When we add any additional work that you or I must do on top of the gospel, we've perverted the gospel. Oh, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but you still have to come to church every Sunday or you lose your salvation. We have perverted the gospel and we have created a false gospel. Yeah, you can get saved through Jesus, but you have to be good for the rest of your life. Otherwise, you'll lose that gift that was given to you. We've perverted the gospel. When we add steps to the gospel, that it's good that you have faith in Christ, but you must also be baptized. You must also come to church. You must also take communion. We've added works to the gospel, and we've created now another gospel. As Paul writes to these churches at Galatia, they said, the Judaizers, as they were known there, it's great that you believed in Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus too, but you must also be circumcised. You must also abstain from certain types of foods and keep the dietary restrictions that we find in the Old Testament. You must also keep all the holy days and festivals that you had before. That's great that you follow Jesus, but we've got some additional things to add on here. And unfortunately, some of the folks in the churches at Galatia bought it hook, line, and sinker, and Paul was angry not angry with the people, but angry with the fact that there was false teaching in the church. And he says in verse number six, I marvel that you are so soon removed. Think about it this way. Uh, you leave who we call a Baptist church and you come back a year from now and we're teaching a false gospel. You'd be scratching your head and go, how did we get here in just 12 months? 12 months ago they were preaching a solid gospel message, now it's overrun with false teachers. That's where Paul was at. He was frustrated, he was angry with a righteous anger. And let me just tell you this. If you're gonna get angry about something, get angry about the fact that people pervert the gospel. If you wanna get frustrated by something, get frustrated by the fact that the majority of churches today are not teaching a pure gospel message where it would be easy for one to get saved. For us, we've had the opportunity to visit many churches. Uh, some were good churches, some were not so great churches. Some were downright heretical and false teaching churches that I've been to before. But the question I ask myself Anytime I visited churches, if I was looking for Jesus, would I find him here? And if the answer to that question is ever no, we're not doing the work that we were called to do as the church. It's our job to help people find Jesus and if they can't find him in our church, he cannot be found. It's important as we look through this passage, one of the reasons why we can be so angry at false teaching is first of all, because Satan is a liar and he is the father of lies. He's the originator of every lie. Uh, The Bible says that Jesus himself said that Satan is a liar. And when he speaks, he speaks his own native language, which is a lie. And all lies are satanic in nature. The devil has been a liar since the very beginning. And so we can say any type of false religion that takes the focus off of Christ and puts it on something else, every single false religion, are you ready for this? is satanic in nature because its lies originated with the devil himself. Let me just tell you this. I'm angry and frustrated by the uh, influence that Catholicism has in our world today, especially even in our island. I'm angry by that, but you know, I want you to help you with this tonight. I'm not angry with Catholic people. I, I hate the devil's guts, I'll tell you that much right now. I hate the system that the devil has built through Catholicism, but I have nothing but love for folks who are stuck in Catholicism. And I hope that you'll have the same love towards them because they've bought into a lie that was propagated by the devil. You see, only Satan would want to confuse the gospel. God wants the gospel to be crystal clear. The gospel is a very, very simple message. It's the message of the Bible from cover to cover, the gospel. And the only person that would want to confuse that message would be the devil. The only person who would want to muddy the waters and make Christ difficult to find would be Satan. And so any type of religious system that causes confusion in the gospel, you can bet is satanic in nature. You see, only Satan would want to shift the focus off of the gospel and put it somewhere else. You see, the focus of the gospel is this, Jesus Christ died for sinners. That's the focus of the gospel. Any religion that seeks to take the focus off of the gospel and put it elsewhere, and let me just tell you this, I don't care where you put the focus, if it's not on Jesus Christ, the only person who would want to do that would be Satan himself. So again, any religion that takes the focus off of the clear teaching of the gospel and puts it elsewhere is satanic in nature. This is heavy stuff. Because if we take the focus off of the gospel, and we put it on, let's say, signs, miracles, and wonders, then we've taken the focus off of Christ and put it somewhere else. If we tell people that the number one goal that, that God wants for your life is that you would do something like, say, speak in tongues, no, God's goal for your life is that you would repent of your sins and worship him forever. We've taken the focus off the gospel and place it somewhere else. That causes confusion. When we take the focus off of what Christ has done for you and we put it on what you've done for Christ. We've made the gospel confusing at that point, and it's not as simple as it once was. That's a problem, and again, it's satanic in nature. You see, the false gospel takes the focus off of Jesus and puts the focus on me. This is one of the easy ways to spot a false gospel. It's not about Jesus, and it's not about what he's done, it's about what I've done instead. Whether it be my religious works and the things that I've done, well, whether it's the fact that Jesus Christ came and died to make my life better. Jesus came and died on the cross so that I don't have to be poor, so that I don't have to be sick, so that I don't have to go through difficult times, and Jesus died for me just to make my life better. The focus is now off of Christ and what he has done, and the worship of Christ, and the focus is now on me and who I am. Easy way to spot a false, false gospel is when it's focused on me instead of Christ. Any religious system that would say, it's a matter of what you do. It's a matter of how much you attend church or how much money you give or how many things that you do for God and the focus becomes then about you and not about Christ. That's an easy way to spot a false gospel. It puts the focus back on me. One of Satan's tactics that he's so subtle with is mixing enough truth with enough error that it doesn't look bad on the surface. So, Last year, I had, um, was doing some research on some teaching that I was doing through Ephesians and I uh, began to do a lot of research about different religions and false religions and things like that. And uh, I had come across some, things, some teachings online about Catholicism and I found even amongst Catholics, they, were, they disagreed on what they believed about certain doctrines and things along those lines. And so I thought to myself, I just wanna go straight to the source. And so I went to Barnes & Noble and I bought a, a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And basically, this is their doctrine book about what they believe and I began to thumb through it. And I was very surprised by how much Bible verses were in the Catholic Catechism, because there were these completely and totally anti-biblical teachings that were found in this book, but they had supporting Bible verses. And it kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. And what I found was that the teaching was never in context, it was never a full passage of scripture, it was three or four words out of a verse that said what they wanted it to say. And I thought to myself, that's just like the devil, to take a little bit of the Bible and confuse people with that and get them off track. You see, Satan, if he wanted you to believe a lie, wouldn't come out with a satanic religion and call it the church of Satan. Well, there is a church of Satan and some people have bought into that. Most people are happy to just say that they believe in God but don't really believe the gospel. Well, I believe that there's a God, I just don't believe that it's as easy as putting your faith and trust in Christ as your savior. I believe that there is a heaven and a hell and I believe that if we're good enough, we can make it to heaven and that we can use Jesus and use our uh, own goodness and hopefully find eternal life one day. That right there is the, the very thing that Satan thrives on. You take a look at back in the Garden of Eden as he talked with Eve in the garden. He didn't just come out and say, God's a liar, don't believe him. He says, did God really say that? Did he really say that if you eat of that tree, that, that you'll die? He didn't really say that, did he? Probably not. You see, he doesn't want you to eat that because when you do, you're gonna be just like him and you're gonna become a God yourself. That's why he doesn't want you to. And there's enough truth with enough error there to lead us off track. That's why it's important for you and I that we know what the Bible says in context. We know but why the Bible says what it says. And we don't believe what somebody tells us. We believe what the Bible says. Hey, don't take my word for it. Use the Bible and take God's word for it. Acts chapter 17 talks about the Berean church and how they were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they heard the word of God with the readiness of mind, but then they went home and searched the scriptures to find out if that was the truth or not. Hey, good word, Paul. I'm thankful for that. Can you show me that in the Bible where I can find that? Hey, that was, that was awesome. That was a blessing today. Can you help me to put that with scripture so I can be, be more blessed by that? Everything must be run through the filter of God's word. We'll say that again. Everything must be run through the filter of God's word. The problem with many false gospels today is that they don't pass the test of being able to run through the filter of God's word. They don't, they, parts of it line up, but the other parts don't. And unfortunately, we live in a society where people say, ah, it's close enough. That's good enough. Well, I know that when I go there, I feel something. And that's something inside of me. Then they begin to trust their feelings. They ele- elevate their emotion over biblical content. And Satan is a master at mixing truth with Error. As we look at these uh, false gospels that are especially prevalent in our society today, one of the uh, prevalent false gospels in our society today is the gospel of works. Now, mind you, Paul says here in verse number six, "I'm, I'm shocked that you're brought over to another gospel, which is not really the gospel. I wanna be clear, the gospel of works is not the gospel. The word gospel means good news, good tidings, good message, and the good message is Jesus Christ died for sinners, and there's nothing you must do to earn that. The good news of the gospel is this. The only thing that you can bring to God is your sin and your repentance, and that's all he requires from you. That's good news. A false gospel of works says, well, it's good that you believe in God, but you have to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that you get to heaven, and whether those X, Y, and Z are really religious things. Uh, for example, uh, there's a group called the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ sounds, on the surface, very Christian. The Church of Christ believe that if you accept Christ as Savior and repent of your sins, that's a good thing, but it's never actually made official until you are baptized. We would call that the doctrine of baptismal regeneration, which is not a biblical doctrine. The idea is that the water would wash your sins away. And that if you die between the time you accept Christ as Savior and the time you are baptized, you will go to hell. So for them, they believe that baptism is what saves you. So if you make a profession of faith tonight, you need to get baptized tonight. Hey, if you're over somebody's house on Friday, they share the gospel with you and you get saved, you need to get baptized Friday night. Can't wait till Sunday. Because if you die, you're gonna die and go to hell. Because water washes your sins away. It causes people to be baptized in swimming pools and bathtubs and everything else you can imagine because they just want this assurance that their sins are washed away. Friend, when you add works to the finished work of Christ, it's no longer the gospel. When you add things that you and I must do to our repentance, it's no longer the gospel. I now am working for my salvation. And Paul's very clear. He says, it's just, if it's of grace, It's not of works. And if it's of works, then it's not of grace. They're mutually exclusive. And so if we're saved by the grace of God, that's the only way that we can be saved. When we add works to the grace of God, it's no longer the gospel and it has become a false gospel. And so we must be very careful that when we talk to people and we say, hey, if you die today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? They say, I'm 100% sure I'm going to heaven. Sometimes we like to stop there and go, good for you, brother. I got a brother in Christ here. That's good. I always follow up with, uh, how do you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven? How do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt? And friend, there's only one right answer because Jesus Christ has saved me and forgiven me of my sins. That's it. But probably 50% of the time when I ask that question, people say, I'm 100% sure I'm going to heaven. I say, how do you know for sure? Then it gets followed up by, I'm a really good guy. I try to do good to every person that I know. If anybody ever asked anything from me, I wanna give it to them. I've let people stay in my house for free. I've had people over and fed them meals. I've had homeless people that I've given my food to. I see that guy standing at the on ramp to the freeway every day. I roll down my window and I give him a dollar every single day. And so if anybody's gonna go to heaven, that would be me, right? You believe the gospel of works, if that's the case, my friend, which is not a gospel. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Paul says as he writes to Titus. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. The gospel of works will send you straight to hell. There's no hope found in the gospel of works. Another prevalent gospel in our society today is the prosperity gospel. The idea is this, is that Jesus came and died so that you don't have to be sick, so that you don't have to be poor, so that you don't have to be lonely. Jesus Christ died so that you can live a very comfortable life. And again, they use just enough Bible out of context to make that sound plausible. Hey, Jesus said that he came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus came for the abundant life for you. And if you're not living abundantly, if you're not driving a new car, if you don't have a really nice house, then you're not living the abundant life, or so they say. But abundance doesn't come from material possessions. It comes from the possession of Jesus Christ as your Savior. Hey, let's look at the totality of Scripture. If Jesus really only came to save us from poverty? Why did he say the son of man came to seek and to save that which were lost? Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Why do we miss the fact that in Romans 5 8 says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus came to die. Let's look at the totality of scripture and then we won't get mixed up with a prosperity gospel that leads us astray prosperity gospel would say that uh, my sickness that i have this week is caused by my sin and i need to rebuke my sickness in the name of jesus friend i'm sick because i shake hands with 200 people a week and people sneeze in their hands and don't use hand sanitizer that's why i'm sick today i'm sick because i have children that sneeze in my face This is why I'm sick. I'm not sick because of sin. And let me just tell you this. If I wanna stop being sick, you know what I should do? I should drink lots of fluids, get plenty of rest, and ride it out like everybody else does. I don't rebuke it in the name of Jesus. But people have, again, looked at this. And they say, well, you know, again, Isaiah chapter 53, verse number five says that by the stripes of Christ, we are healed that I have healing for sickness because of what Jesus did on the cross. By his stripes we're healed. Isn't that what that says? No, 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 read the whole context. It's talking about our sinful condition. My sin is healed by the suffering of Christ on the cross, not my physical ailments. If I'm sick, I take my medicine, I go to the doctor, I get locked to rest, I call in sick. Don't rebuke it in the name of Jesus and say that it's demonic activity by the accuser that wants to keep me down. That's a prosperity gospel which finds no rooting in scripture whatsoever. And let me just tell you this. Paul says all those that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Life is gonna be hard. And if you go through a hard life, it's not because you're not doing the right thing. It might be because you're doing the right thing. That's just life. But a prosperity gospel is very popular today, why? Because people want to believe that God exists to give me a new car. People want to believe that God exists so that I can drive a BMW. God exists because he wants to give me that new Tesla with the Gullwing doors that I really, really want. Jesus died on the cross to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's a prosperity gospel which is not a gospel. And look, if the only thing that Jesus did was come to this world so that I could live a comfortable, prosperous, materialistic life, let me ask you this, what happens when I die? If that's all Jesus came for was to make me comfortable on this earth, what happens after I die? And unfortunately, we have so-called Christians that are chasing prosperity that this world offers and they will realize when they die that they never knew what the gospel was and they'll be separated from God forever in a place called hell because they chased materialism their whole life. And again, please understand, I know people that go to these churches that preach this prosperity, and my argument is not with these people. My hatred is towards the devil who leads people astray from a very, very simple gospel. If you have a friend that goes to a a false teaching church, your friend is not your enemy. The devil is. Don't be ugly towards these people. Don't put them down. Don't be nasty. Show them the love of Christ because they are not your enemy. The devil is. And let me just tell you this. There are people who are far more committed to a false faith than you and I are to a genuine faith. And that's sad. When I go to an airport and I'm getting ready to get on a plane and I see a guy pull out a prayer rug out of his backpack and kneel down on the ground and begin to pray, my first thought is, ah, bummer for that guy. He doesn't know the truth that's found in the gospel. He doesn't really have to do that. But then when I think a little bit more on it, I think to myself, when was the last time I prayed without worrying about what other people thought about me in an airport? Probably never. Am I so committed to my faith that I would pray as often as that guy does to a false god? For me, I was convicted by that. And so uh, for about a year, I took a timer and I said it on my cell phone that on the hour, every hour, my phone would buzz and remind me to pray. And I prayed on the hour, every hour because I was so convicted that people would, would schedule prayer time to a false God, yet I have the real God on speed dial that I can call at any time, yet I don't. But a prosperity gospel, false gospel, there's no hope that's found there. This one, uh, next one is fairly new in our society today, is the social justice gospel. That Jesus died to make everything right. And let me just tell you this, one day Jesus will make everything right. But it's not our place to reconcile every wrong that's in the world. The idea is that the church's job shouldn't be preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus Christ, seeing people come to repentance for their sins. The job of the church is to fix everything that's broken in society. The church should take up the the mantle of uh, stopping human trafficking in America. Let me just tell you this, I am deeply grieved by human trafficking in America. Let me just say that. And I want the church to help out wherever it can, but that's not the mission. The mission of the church is to point people to Jesus Christ. I'm grieved by folks who are Baptists in America today that feel like they need to take up the mantle of racial reconciliation we're gonna have all these meetings and conferences to talk about race and how we can bring the races together and to squash racism and stuff like that. Hey, look, the gospel takes care of racism. Just preach the gospel. If you realize that we're all sinners before God, you'll realize that you don't, you're not any better than anyone else. And we don't have to preach about race. We need to preach about our sinful condition before a holy God. That's the issue here. So folks believe that the the goal of the church or the job of the church is to end poverty, uh, that we should have some type of socialistic system where uh, everybody makes the same amount of money and everybody's equal and things like that. Hey, look, socialism, this is not a political statement, but socialism has never worked in any society in America. The problem is not making sure that everybody has equal. The problem is making sure that everybody has Jesus. And when the church begins to get involved in things that are not the mission of the church, We run astray of our true mission that we have and we betray the gospel. Angela and I uh, probably, this has probably been four years ago now. Our church was fairly new. We were finding some ways that we could get involved in our community and ways that we could help. We found another church here on our island that does an outreach to prostitutes in Waikiki. And one of their goals was to stop human trafficking and give these ladies a way out of prostitution. And if you've ever been through Waikiki on a Friday night or Saturday night, you can see them walking up and down Kalakaua Avenue. It's a very real problem that we have in our city. And so the idea that churches would get involved in actually making a difference in these ladies' lives was huge for us. And so uh, they had this training on a Sunday night that that, that this church was offering on ways that uh, we could go out and make an impact into this. And so... Angela and I went, and we were super excited, super fired up to to be able to make a difference in this. And so uh, they began to talk about ways that we could talk to these ladies and ways that we could offer them uh, places where they could stay and uh, maybe tickets back home uh, and things like that. We could uh, do all types of things to uh, get them away from these guys and and to maybe alert the authorities and things like that. And so uh, we're probably like three-quarters of the way into it, and my wife raises her hand, and she says, do we ever have a chance to sit down and talk with these ladies and hear their stories? And they said, well, we really discourage that because their main issue that they have is just getting off the streets and getting away from this dangerous situation that they have, and uh, it's, we don't we don't really do stuff like that. So my, wife, my wife, she's stubborn sometimes. And She raised her hand again, she was like, So do we ever get a chance to talk to these ladies about Jesus? Well, we we really discourage that because our goal is to get them safe and get them off the streets and get them out of harm's way. And so we don't want to do anything that would create a roadblock in any way from getting them to a safe place. I was like, "Put your hand down." She was, "No, I really want to ask." Was, so after they get to a safe place, is there a way that we can give them a Bible, give them a book, talk to them about Jesus, give them the gospel, give them an invitation to a church, get them in a, integrated with a church family? No, we don't really do that. Our goal is just get these ladies safe. And At that point, I realize this is not a gospel effort. This is a social effort. And look, there are good. Here's the thing: there are folks that are not even Christian that are in our city, that are doing a good job of trying to get these ladies a safe place to be. The job of the church is not to get them a safe place for the night. The job of the church is to get them a safe place for eternity. And if we can't do that, we can't forego the mission of the church, which is the gospel, to to end temporary suffering We've done uh, several opportunities. We've had to, to do homeless outreach around here. What we have found is most of the people that we've found around here that are, are without a home and going through a rough spot generally aren't looking for long-term help. They're looking for somebody to give them a sandwich tonight. And we've done that in the name of Jesus, giving people a sandwich and try to help and encourage. We always ask what if if we can pray with them. If there's anything we can do, and I think that's helpful. But the role of the church is not to hand out sandwiches every night. The role of the church is to point people to Jesus, And you say, well, that's very unloving. No, here's what Jesus says. Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. And if you can't find people that wanna come, go further out and find more people and compel them to come in. And if they don't wanna come, go out further than that and compel more people to come in. Not just hang out with the people that are around you that don't give a, a rip about Jesus. So the idea of a social justice gospel is very appealing in the short term. Oh, we can fix the problems that are broken in society today as a church. Hey, the only thing that the church has to offer that will fix our broken society is the true gospel. Politics will never fix anything. The gospel fixes everything. Conferences to talk about race don't fix anything. The gospel fixes those problems. Opportunities to to end homelessness in our city. That's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to the gospel. And so we get sidetracked by these false gospels. The churches in Galatia got sidetracked by false gospels. And Paul says, guys, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the true gospel. You've lost your mooring. You've lost your anchor point. At the end of the day, the message of the gospel is non-negotiable. We're not going to cave on this. I believe there is coming a day in our society today where the gospel might be labeled a hate message. We're gonna to continue to preach it anyways. It's a non-negotiable message. You don't believe in Christ as your savior, you will perish and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's a non-negotiable point. Well, that's not very popular. Sorry, there will probably be, never be a popular church and I'm okay with that. And you might not ever be a popular Christian and you've gotta be okay with that. But this message is non-negotiable. Paul says, we're not gonna take the gospel and add a little bit of Judaism to it. No, the gospel is the gospel. We don't get to mess with it. The mission of the church has been set by Christ himself. Go, win, baptize, teach. We don't get to change the mission if we want to. Some good friends of ours several years ago that had come to our church and they were good people. They loved the Lord, but they said, we feel like the mission of the church is off. We feel like the church's mission should be more towards helping homeless people. I'm sorry, but we can't change the mission of the church. Jesus himself said it. Well, we don't like the mission. Then you need to find another church. And they did, and I'm I'm glad they did. Because we cannot change what Jesus has told us to do because it's not convenient for us. Take a look at verse number eight. But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul says the message is non-negotiable, even if we say otherwise. Paul said this, if you ever hear me with my own mouth say another gospel, you need to accurse me. You know what that says? Say that that person is going to hell. You're accursed. Get out of here. We don't wanna hear what you have to say. Even if I say otherwise, don't believe any other gospel. He goes on, on to say, even if another angel tells you otherwise, don't believe it. I think that this is beautiful, because we know that God is sovereign. We know that God sees the beginning from the end. We know that God knows what's gonna happen from eternity past to eternity future. We know that nothing takes God by surprise. So fast forward to the 1800s, and a new religion comes on the scene called Mormonism that purports to have another testament of Jesus Christ. And it was revealed to Joseph Smith in the middle of the woods by an, you wanna take a guess? An angel. And he has a new gospel that is preached now, a New Testament of Jesus Christ. And the funny thing is, if Joseph Smith or anyone else who believes in the false religion of Mormonism would take time to read the book of Galatians chapter number one, they would see that even if an angel tells you of another gospel, don't believe it. And so it's interesting to me every time I talk to a Mormon, have you ever read the book of Galatians before? No, i never read it before. You should read it because it tells you that everything that you believe is wrong even if an angel tells you that it's right. So the gospel message is non-negotiable because the Bible is always authoritative. At the end of the day, the Bible says what the Bible says. It's the authority I am not. Just know this. If you ever have a question about your faith, you're ever struggling with something or trying to figure something out, please let me know. As your pastor, I want to guide you and help you through that and point you to the Bible over the last several weeks, I've had really good questions that people send me via email about things like uh, supernatural sign gifts and Bible versions and stuff like that. I love answering questions like that and and sending you back to the Bible uh, because the Bible is authoritative and I want to teach you as good Christians to be self-feeders from the Bible. I don't want you to just believe, well, my church believes this or my pastor said that. No, no, no. I always want you to come back and say, this is what the Bible says. And that's why discipleship is so incredibly important is to know what the Bible says and why you believe what you believe. Because when I'm talking with someone who claims to be a Christian, they say, well, my church believes X, I always tell them, well, what does the Bible say? Well, my pastor told me one time that this, well, what does the Bible say about that? Well, my pastor told me that if I ever get sick, I just need to rebuke the sickness and claim that I am, I am well. <laughs> what does the Bible say about that? What about Paul who had health issues? What about Timothy who had health issues? What about people that died in the Bible from health issues? I don't know, I never thought about that. Let's go back to what the Bible says because the Bible is always authoritative. Let me just tell you this. Nobody's gonna care who your pastor is. They're gonna care what the Bible says. I'm gonna tell you this. Outside of the Bible, I'm gonna help you with this. Outside of the Bible, Anthony King has zero authority, zip, none whatsoever. Nobody's gonna care one day that your pastor was Anthony King. Did you know that? Nobody. Who's that? I have no authority of my own. The Bible has 100% authority. We can always go back and say the Bible is always true regardless of what we think about it. Final thought tonight, when we turn away from biblical truth, we turn to a false gospel. Anytime I want to go my own way and do my own thing and turn away from the Bible, I always turn to a false gospel. I also want to stop for a second here and and give a caveat to tonight's message. Please understand that who we call a Baptist church is not the only church in town that has the truth. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you have to be a Baptist church to have the truth. I'm saying, if you don't fall in line with this book 100% of the time, you're not a biblical church. I had someone asked me one time, they said, do you really believe that our church is 100% right on the Bible? And I said, yeah, why? Said, you don't think there's any, any area where we're a little bit off? And I said, no, why? He goes, well, nothing can be perfect all the time. And I said, I agree with that statement. I said, but if you can show me from the Bible where our church or even I myself am wrong, I want to make it right Immediately. So as far as I know, our church must be 100% gun barrel straight on every matter as it relates to doctrine, 100% right. Now, again, it's not our job to judge other churches and what they believe, but I do believe when we see a false gospel, we should call it out because Paul, when he saw a false gospel, he calls it out. And when we see churches that are part of a false religion or teaching a false gospel or sending people to hell, we have an obligation to say, hey, that's not right. But at the end of the day, we're not gonna be trolling every church in town's website, looking at their doctrinal statements, seeing if they line up on this area and that area. Hey, we're just gonna keep going forward for the cause of Christ. And we ourselves are gonna be 100% committed to the gospel. We're gonna be 100% committed to seeing people saved, baptized, disciples, added to Jesus' church and making disciples themselves because that's the job of the church. Churches at Galatia, though, they struggle with this. Why? Sometimes we like, we like new things. Isn't it funny? We like new stuff. We're always looking for the car that has an extra upgrade that ours doesn't have, you know? I wish I could push a button on my van and it automatically started. How cool would that be? Our van doesn't have that option. I wish it did. Do I need to get a new van? No, but do I want a new van? Yes. Do I want gullwing doors on my van? Yes. Why? Because it's new, it's exciting. Do I want a new cell phone? Yes. Why? Because mine's old, right? I want a new computer. Why? Because it's faster. It has a bigger screen. It has better resolution. It's more HDE or something, right? I don't know. We always want something new. But when it comes to the Bible, we can't look for the new thing because the Bible's settled. It's over and done with. But many Christians are looking for, uh, this grieves me in in Christian publishing. There's always a book that comes out every three months to every six months that says, A New Way to Encounter God. It's just like, what? Like, did we lose the way to encounter God over the last 2,000 years? The way to unlock the secret of prayer how do we unlock the secret of prayer? Is there some new way that we forgot about? A new way to serve God. Is there a new way to serve God? I don't think so. But we constantly clamor after something new. And so the churches of Galatia, I think probably they're like, ah, Christianity, that's cool. Hey, we've got next level Christianity. We've got Christianity HD. Ooh, I want Christianity HD. How do you do that? It's, Judaism plus Christianity. Ooh, we're taking the best of Judaism, the best of Christianity, and smashing them together. That's exciting. And Paul goes, stop. So quickly, you're removed from the true gospel. Again, most uh, Bible scholars believe that this was written somewhere in the ballpark of 45 to 55 AD. This is like 10 years after Christ died. So Christianity is brand spanking new. And Paul says, here it is. It's very simple. And they go, oh yeah, that's great that it's simple, but what else is there? And they look for something else. We cannot be looking for something else. We're gonna stick with the Bible. So again, I even challenge you to take the Christian books that you read and run them through the filter of God's word to make sure that they match up. Because at any point when they deviate from the word of God, it's no longer biblical. And Every single book that's in our, our bookstore area that we have over here, I've personally read myself, and I can tell you that 95 to 98% of the stuff that's in those books is pretty solid. There's a couple books that I would say, this chapter, read it with a grain of salt, read it as a discerning Christian, but at the end of the day, they're, they're pretty, for the most part, solid. Now, you go down to the Christian bookstore that's two blocks up the street, 98% of the stuff that's on the shelf, there's garbage. So we have to be discerning. Does this line up with the Bible? If not, I'm gonna reject it because I love God's word so much. And let me just tell you this. If you spend your life being a person of the book, you'll never exhaust the treasure that's found in God's word. There's 66 books, but it will take you the rest of your life to unpack the wisdom that's found in there. I challenge you with this. You can't read the book of Proverbs and get all the wisdom out of it in your lifetime. It'll take you forever. There's times where I read verses in Proverbs and I go, oh, I don't think I've ever read that verse before. I've read the verse hundreds of times, probably, but that day it spoke to me in a way that I'd never seen before, and it spoke to me in a way that God had never spoken to me before. Again, I didn't need some new way to encounter God. I just need the good old-fashioned Bible. So I challenge you, be a discerning Christian know what the Bible says, and live with a commitment to the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is all I need for my sins. And it's the only thing that the people that I know need, they need to know the gospel and they need to know Jesus. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home when you die, don't leave this place until you put your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. If you believe that you're going to heaven because of your baptism, because of your good works, because of your church membership, or because of who you are in your religious pedigree, my friend, you'll be sorely mistaken when you stand before God. Tonight, put your faith and trust in the one that can save you, and his name is Jesus. But for most of us here tonight, I know your story of how you came to faith in Christ. And I would challenge you with this. Live with the gospel at the center of your life and everything that you do. It's funny today, the word gospel has become kind of a buzzword in churches and it's become very popular. You see people writing books about gospel-centered this and gospel-centered that. I saw online some church that had a gospel-centered bench painting ministry. They would go to parks and they would paint benches. I thought, what does that have to do with the gospel? Like, are you like sharing your faith with people as you paint these benches? No, they were just painting benches in the name of Jesus and calling it gospel-centered. Hey, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for the sins of mankind. Let's not muddy the waters there but I want to commit the rest of my life and I want you to do as well, to commit it to the greatest story ever told, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true, pure, unadulterated gospel that's found in the word of God. It changes lives, it changed mine. I know it'll change yours and change the life of every person that you have the opportunity to share it with. Grab a handful of invites on your way out tonight. Give the gospel to one person this week. Just one person. Just sow a seed this week and see what God will do with it, I promise you. God promises his word will not return void unto him. The gospel does all the work. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that's committed to the gospel. Let's continue to be a church that loves the gospel and shares it with others.